listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast. For Wednesday, July the 19th, I'm your host, Ari Shapiro. And on today's show, I've got sporting news, MLB, and Blue Jays writer and blogger Ian Hunter from Prospects1500.com. He covers the Florida State League and Gulf Coast Leagues. Jason Waddell, and from Big Brother Canada Season 3, and someone who's been to 32 Blue Jay games this year, 32, Risha Denner is on the Jays Journal podcast. The Blue Jays continue battling the Red Sox in a series that has been marked with a level of fan angst I haven't seen in quite some time. I am, of course, referring to the extra innings, 15-inning loss that took place last night. Uh, Trying to salvage this current roster by keeping it intact through what we call the power of winning is proving to be an insurmountable height, it seems, for this team. Uh, The struggles continue, and the struggles are real. Players like Justin Smoke and Kendris Morales and Steve Pierce and Roberto Asuna and Marcus Stroman are doing what they need to do, and then some. We're talking some really, really uh, heroic, mercurial performances. The problem is the other stalwarts are not showing up, and the continued struggles of certain players that were counted on to deliver in the clutch, like Troy Tilowitzki and Josh Donaldson and Russell Martin, is proving to be a complete and utter crapshoot for anyone wondering whether or not this team can put together a 600 ball likely? No. Is it still possible that when you're five and a half games back of the wild card with 68 games to play that you could still get into the postseason? Absolutely. And this is why I encourage everyone to be patient and see what management has up their sleeves. Do I think it's a, a series of gifts like at Christmas morning? Probably not. Might it be a loot bag from a birthday party you've been looking forward to for a while? Maybe. It's possible that what we think is retooling will end up bolstering the club's chances to make the postseason. But if they continue to play the way they did last night and are unable to hit the 500 mark this month, I don't think it's realistic to expect that the cavalry will be on the horizon. Joining me today on the Jays Journal podcast is Risha Denner. Risha, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ari. The team's miserable. It's been a miserable year. As a diehard Blue Jays fan, and, and I notice on your Twitter feed you have an awesome quote at your header, which reads, The only church that truly feeds the soul, day in and day out, is the church of baseball. Why did you put that yes. there? Help me understand what that means to you. I go to a lot of games on my own, and I sit on that stands and I and I I watch these guys, you know, play these games and I and struggle and and succeed all so many emotions every game, and there's nothing else like it, you know. I mean, one minute you're up and the next minute you're down and you're losing and. But at the end of the day, there's still those nine innings. There's still 27 bats. Like, you still have all of those chances to turn the game around and, and, and win. And it, for me, that, that feeds my soul. That's where I go. That's my happy place. That's what I do for me to rejuvenate, um, to, to, to be entertained and to feel yeah. some passion. And I think that it also stems back to me for, as a kid, you know, um, growing up, we didn't have Jays in Vancouver, so we went to Nat Bailey. And um, my dad, who didn't have any sons but had me, <laughs> was a big sports fan. And we going to baseball games was a huge, was a huge memory of my life because it was when things were still good before before he got cancer, before he got sick. Mm-hmm. And so when I go, when I go. To Jay things now, and I have my dad's glove with me that he got when he was, <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know, you know, maybe 12 or 50. The glove's like 60 years old. I brought it with, I bring it with me to games. Wow. It, it, for me, that that feels, that is my church. That is my place of, of, of healing, of joy, of happiness. So um, I think that's what I why I put that there is because for a lot of people who go to games, that's our happy place. That's your sanctum. That's your church. That's, that's your sanctuary, yeah. you know. So, it, you know, religion can be defined in many different ways. <laughs> church of you can. You can. It's, and and it's, certainly the hallmarks are faith and, and fidelity. And I think that's right? where I, 
I appreciate the fact that you're not a bandwagon jumper. You're not a fair-weathered fan. You're someone who has been there from the beginning. Talk to me about your impressions of the fan base in general in Toronto. How do you perceive this up-and-down topsy-turvy reality that is emotional Blue Jays fan during the year where clearly almost everything that should have gone right has gone wrong? The thing is, is there's, our, there's being at the games and then there's social media. Um, you know, if you go to games, the perception of what the fans are is very different because everyone there is very excited and very happy to be there. I mean, I was at 32 games last year at home. Um, so far this year, 16 at home. I did two in um, Montreal and then three at Yankees in New York. And you see Jay fans on the road. Um, and all of us in person are not giving up. We have faith in our team. We're there to support our team. And the attendance records for the Blue Jays attest to that. But then people get disappointed at losses and they vent their frustration on social media. So then all of a sudden it looks like we've got all these haters, which I think, I don't think people are hating. I just think they're disappointed. And they're disappointed because they feel the loss. And we look at those players out there. And like I said, you look at guys like Estrada and Estina coming out earlier in the season saying he was having you know, struggling with anxiety and J.D. just not playing and looking, like, at his glove when, like, blank stares when he's made an error. Like, that's not that's not the J.D., the bringer of rain that we know. Mm-hmm. So I think I think people are feeling that, that intense, you know, disappointment. And so they're venting. But I think that we still have a lot of really amazing fans. Like, if you walk yeah. the streets of Toronto which I walk to work every day, even on non-game days, you see people everywhere wearing Jays hats and Jays jerseys. And, I mean, that, those are fans. Um, win or lose, people are out there. And I think we need to focus on the positives and, and be grateful for the fact that we do have many fans as we do. And that's, that's a great point regarding social media. It has a tendency to magnify things in such a way that it starts distorting what a team really represents. And when you have a team like this that succeeded in winning the division in 2015, found the wild card spot last and brought us a nice postseason of baseball, it's amazing to see how quickly things turn, isn't it, the moment that uh, Murphy's Law comes into play. Yeah, and I think that, you know, because Toronto, it's been so long that we've had, we haven't had a lot of, you know, our teams are just starting, you know, like, you know, Leafs and Raptors, finally had some good seasons yeah, behind them, but mm-hmm. we've, we've, been, we've been used to losing in this city for so long, and I think that it's, we're almost like this. We get this high when we win. We're like, wow, we're winning, like disbelief. <laughs> and then the minute we lose, we're like, oh, figures. Jay suck. <laughs> it's like, no, guys, 162 games, okay? <laughs> like, come on. You know, going into the All-Star break, people were so miserable. It's like, Come on, we're only halfway through the season. You can't. Like, like if you were, if John Gibbons, if you go into the, the clubhouse and be like, okay, guys, well, we're going to the All Stars and we're not 500, so we might as well give up. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, would, yeah. like, would anybody right now, as as the, as the manager of the team, if they had that chance to go into the locker room, what would you say to your club? Oh, well, we might as well give up. Hey, Stro, yeah. maybe you're going to the Cubs and. Uh, yeah, Hap, maybe you're out too. And uh, Liriano, like, bye. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like, no, yeah. you can't. we got to keep playing. <laughs> you gotta, you got to go out there and keep trying. And that's, that's why baseball is one of the toughest sports that there is. I mean, 152 games, there's, it's, a, it's a grueling, grueling, long season. And it really shows the test of these men's, integrity and like heart and that's one thing about Marcus Stroman that I love is that he's always so positive and when he gets on that mound like he's just he's out there he's yeah. he's positive he's going out there to win and right now he's our, he's our best pitcher on the rotation so that's right and and the biggest the biggest big game pitcher that the team's had in quite some time seems like he always rises to the occasion whenever there's adversity at hand absolutely 
And I mean, you know, people want, people have criticized him a bit, you know, saying he's a little, you know, too much, uh, you know, emotion for the yeah. you know, baseball. It's like, come on, guys. Like, really? Like, aren't we past that? <laughs> like, it was 2017. The guy, the guy's out there. He's 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 doing an amazing job. Let him let him be excited. Let him get let him pump the team up. You know we need that. We need somebody that's gonna bring these guys up and get the emotion and the juice of good. Because when he's out there, you can feel it. Like the whole everybody is behind him, and 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 that's huge. Jays need that right now, big time. So I'm Absolutely. I'm looking forward to the game tonight because it'll be great to watch him, especially. You know, going into Boston, um, I don't know. Uh, Rodriguez hasn't he hasn't pitched since what June first, and you know they're coming out of like a 16 innings with the Yankees in the doubleheader yesterday, so it's going to be mm. an interesting game this evening. Both, sure. both teams have been demoralized from from recent losses, whether they've been lopsided or extra innings. Um, Risha, tell my listeners what you've been up to, how they can find you, and what they need to know in searching you out on social media. Right now, I'm uh, I'm just going to as many Jays games as I can. I haven't really been doing much with the Big Brother world as of recently. I did um, co-host um, Dick at Night for last season's Big Brother Canada Five. Um, but you can find me on Twitter, um, and you can find me uh, on Instagram. That's basically the best way to reach me if you have any questions. Um, I'm always on the Twitter, so if people want to contact me or questions. I love to talk to people on Twitter and answer anything that I can, as long as it's within reason. <laughs> and the key words there are within reason. Brilliant insights from Blue Jays superfan and analyst Risha Denner. Risha, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ari. It was lovely chatting with you. Next on the show, I have with me a phenomenal, phenomenal gentleman who covers the minor leagues, in particular the Florida State League and the Gulf Coast League for Prospects1500.com. Jason Woodell joins us. Jason, how are you today? I'm good, Ari. How are you doing? I am fantastic. I've spent the last week talking to uh, various different guests about the minor league system. And I've got to tell you, I thought I knew something about this Toronto Blue Jays future, but the truth is I'm learning something new every day. So I thought it would be great to have you on so I could ask you the question, knowing what you do know about the minor league system, how should the average Toronto Blue Jays fan feel about the future at this stage in the game in July of 2017? I think that Toronto Blue Jays fans should be extremely excited about uh, the future of the Blue Jays. Um, we've seen a lot of trades uh, come down within the last year or so where uh, teams have completely rebuilt their farm system. Mm-hmm. Uh, most no- notably, probably the Chicago White Sox with the trade of Quintana to get uh, two, uh, I mean, two top 100 guys in Eloy Jimenez yeah. and, and Dylan Cease. And the White Sox and the Braves seem to be the talk of the town. Um, but in the Florida State League, in my opinion, it starts and stops at Dunedin. Really? That's where the conversation. That's where the conversation starts and stops. I mean, that team is loaded. Loaded. Now, now help oh, me yeah. understand. Now, help me understand how this may compare to previous years. Is there something noteworthy about the way the the initial Dunedin roster looks now as opposed to the way it may have looked three, five, ten years ago that, that particularly gets your attention? Well, not necessarily. Dunedin, Dunedin is one of those stops that no prospect will skip on their way to Toronto. It's, it's in the Florida State League. It's considered advanced A. Um, it's right below double A. Um, so every prospect from Stroman to Sanchez to uh, – Gosh, I'm drawing a blank on some of the guys that they have up there now that that they haven't traded away. Um, Take your but time. But I know that those two guys. Yeah, I know that those two guys played there. Um, Delgado played there. That's amazing. Pretty much. Amazing I mean, days, yeah. Dunedin has been. I mean, Dunedin has been there for 30 years at least um, as a Blue Jays organization. That's where they do spring training. Um, so. Any Blue Jay great that has come up through the system that they've developed, 
has stopped in Dunedin. Fascinating. And and right now, that team, if you go to MLB.com's top 30 prospects for the Blue Jays, mm-hmm. the Dunedin Blue Jays have 10 of the top 30 prospects on that roster. That that truly is remarkable. But I'm wondering when you when you explain that or make others aware of how significant that is because we're talking about one third of the early level earliest day one prospects that have a chance to become everyday players on average how many of these players do you think will see the light of day in the majors based on this current group that's highly touted it's hard to say because it's hard to say how guys will develop and some of these guys are fringe prospects i think anytime you're talking about the 25th to 30th best prospect in your organization, it's safe to say that that's probably a fringe prospect. However, a lot of those guys don't always have to be superstars in order for you to, to, to have a winning formula at the big leagues, whether they're traded for uh, younger or younger assets that can help you at the major league level, or whether or not they, you know, they become solid bench players um, on the big club or they've just become legit major league regulars. It's 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 a lot of times it's hard to tell when they're that young how they're how they're really going to develop. But I think it's encouraging to know that of the people or of the players on that roster right now, it's a third of MLB.com's top 30, and a number of these guys are ranked in the top 100 or just outside of the the top 100 uh, prospects in baseball. So naturally, I would imagine that the front office of the Toronto Blue Jays being aware of this and and now responsible for drafting elements that allow them to distinguish themselves from the way that, let's say, Alex Anthopoulos used to do business. Do you see them coveting this reality as one where, in terms of the present team, they are willing to be patient? Or could you see them taking some of these raw prospects and maybe using them to further bolster what is supposedly a contending team this year? Well, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm a Blue Jays fan, I'm hoping that they stay away from moving these guys and let them develop through the minor league system because um, one thing that this organization has is tremendous depth up the middle, and that mm. is hard to find. They've done an excellent job the last couple years in not only scouting the MLB draft, but in signing uh, the 16-year-old international free agents um, at the July 2 deadline. A couple years ago, as as probably I'm hoping all Blue Jay fans know, they spent um, a significant chunk of change on Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Mm-hmm. Um, who at age 18 is already in uh, advanced A after dominating um, after dominating full season A ball in Lansing. Uh, Bo Bichette is probably the hottest prospect in baseball right now outside of Raphael Devers or Vlad Jr. And he was a second round pick last year out of high school. He's 19. Both those guys were just promoted after the Futures games. Um, and it's already an honor, even if they hadn't have been promoted, just to be named to the Futures game roster, especially as teenagers. Um, so that's where I think the conversation starts as far as prospects go. And those guys have seemed to have handled tr- the transition to advanced A uh, really well in, in the past week. I'm speaking with uh, Jason Woodell, uh, who covers the Florida State League and the Gulf Coast League for Prospects1500.com. Jason, I'm curious to know, in your opinion, aside from what clearly is a great deal of discussion related to Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette, who else in your mind stands out that maybe the average fan is not aware of that they should be on the lookout for reasonably soon as a potential major league player for this uh, for this franchise? Uh, a couple guys that I really like that I got a chance to meet uh, when I was in Dunedin last week. Um, is Max Pentecost, who is mm. a catcher first baseman. He was a first-round pick out of Kennesaw State in 2014. Um, he's had some injury issues. It remains to be seen if he will remain at catcher. Uh, but the Blue Jays are committed to, to getting him healthy 
And he's a bat first guy, so even if he doesn't stick a catcher, his bat will play at DH and first base. He's finally gotten healthy uh, this year, and I believe he's hitting about 290 with nine home runs so far this year. He was named to the all-star team. Another guy that's finally gotten healthy this year is a left-handed pitcher by the name of Ryan Barucki. I believe that MLB.com has him ranked at 16th in the organization, uh, but he is a efficient working left-hander on the mound. He throws strikes, pounds the strike zone, has a really good changeup, and has developed a slider this year. And if you look at his career numbers, he was always around uh, seven, seven to eight Ks per nine innings. This year he's over ten. Um, he attributes a lot of that success to to this slider that he's working on. Um, another guy that I think uh, people may have heard of just on name recognition alone that I think that I really like prospects list don't particularly like him and he's actually not one of the 10 that's ranked by MLB.com is Kevin Biggio, Craig Biggio's son. Hmm. Uh, he's a left-handed hitter. He's hitting in about 250, um, but he's in his second full season of, or he's in his first full season of pro ball, second season. He was drafted last year too out of the fifth round out of Notre Dame. He's got a nice lefty swing. He can generate some loft. Um, he started to hit for a little bit more power this year. Um, Swing can get a little long, uh, but if he can keep that swing short, just like his dad, he's versatile enough to play all over the field and can be a pretty, I think, a pretty decent uh, utility player off the bench. Um, Jordan Romano is another guy that I really like. Along with Barucki, he's a right-hander, also averaging over 10 strikeouts per nine innings. Um, Has a low ERA, right around three. and just really, I mean, he throws strikes, works well, pounds the zone, can hit mid-90s. Those four, I think, are the are kind of the second-tier prospects on this team behind a guy like P.J. Zook, who was the first-round pick last year, but he's been injured most of the season. So Angel Perdomo is, is a left-hander, throws really hard. Um, he's got three pitches but he just needs to work on commanding the zone better. Um, was really successful and hit a lot of prospects, uh, a lot of prospect radars last season um, with his year in Lansing. Numbers don't look as good this year, but the Florida State League is just a different beast. Overall, he's still, if he throws strikes, he's young, he throws hard, he's left-handed. He can be a special talent. Um He's probably got the highest upside of any starting pitcher in the Dunedin Blue Jays rotation. So that's very interesting to me. You know, I'm hearing references to players that are not being overstated. I think that this organization appreciates the value of realism and realistic scouting. It just seems like through a combination of really, really good luck and and circumstances and, and some really talented scouts the Blue Jays have ended up with some players that can really be game changers in terms of the culture of this team. Who do you see as being the leader of this team? If you had to pick one of these young players who could one day maybe evolve into the kind of baseball player that Blue Jays fans would love to see epitomized by Josh Donaldson, which player do you think might end up being the one that comes close to that kind of gritty um, work ethic and passion for baseball that we see on the field? Uh, From what I've seen, it's either going to be Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Bo Bichette, if not both. Um, To be so young, 18 and 19 years old, and to dominate the way those two guys have dominated. Um, And it's not just that they're hitting bad pitching. These guys are making two-strike adjustments within the bat. Um, They're hitting to all fields. Um, they're, They're tough with two strikes in the games that I've seen, uh, as they start to grow and fill out their bodies, I think I'm, it's really exciting to see, I think, how aggressive Toronto will be with them as far as their development. Um, but what sort of major league players that they can both be, because that's, a, lot of, a lot of Blue Jay fans are clamoring for them to be the left side of the infield right now. So. Mm-hmm. And I think an argument could be made that they might get a little bit more production that way, sadly, with the way things have gone this year with the big club 
Jason, um, I, I want to know your opinion with regards to this permeating doom and gloom that has existed with many fans over the last few weeks. As you know, the big club has struggled and is struggling on an almost week-to-week basis to convince fans that they are a contending American League East team. Knowing what you know of the minor league system and recognizing that Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins will have 160 and 170 or so million dollars to play with on payroll, I guess you could argue there are infinitely worse things than imagining that Toronto fans will have to deal with with disappointing baseball for very long. Well, I, I'm of the approach that if it's not working at the big league club, I don't like to throw money at the problem necessarily to try and fix it. Um, the Blue Jays have, in some spots on the roster, some aging uh, superstars, some guys that have been down with injury. Um, Sanchez doesn't seem to be able to stay healthy. Um, if I'm a Blue Jays fan, seeing what the White Sox got for Quintana, I would want Mark Shapiro to look at what he can get for a guy like Marcus Stroman, who's younger, who who's cheaper. Uh, this guy's going to hit arbitration um, if he hasn't already. I can't remember where he's at in his in his in his service time, um, but he could potentially get pretty expensive. And I think a lot of the help, um, being that it is in in advanced A, we really got to see what these guys can do at Double A before we get before we get really serious, and I'm talking about the guys like Pentecost, Biggio, Barucki, a guy like Juan Kelly, Jordan Romano, Kirby Sneed, TJ Zook. We really need to see what they're going to do at at the higher levels um, before we throw all our eggs into the prospect basket. But I would like to see them continue to add to the farm system to make it even stronger because then you have movable assets if you do get a product on the field that can win, that you can go out and get that missing piece without having to uh, to give a guy or overpay a guy to get him to come to Toronto. Well said, Jason. Well said. Uh, tell my listeners a little bit of what uh, you're up to these days, how they can find you uh, on the web, and uh, where you get all your fantastic minor league expertise and acumen from. Uh, well, I write for a blog called Prospects1500.com. It is fairly new in the scheme of baseball blogs and that it was started this year. Um, the uh, founder of the blog, Scott Green, envisioned a place that was a blog that was for, for the fantasy owner um, that plays in the deep, deep dynasty leagues where you would want to stash these guys in rookie and A ball um, and, and then have them under team control when they obviously come up to the majors. And so their goal was to recruit 30 guys to each pick one minor league team and rank 50 prospects. So that's where the 1500.com came from. And uh, if you look, go to the site, each team has a preseason rank of 50 prospects that uh, these guys did in the at the beginning of the season uh, where I came along was uh, Scott reached out to me because he knew I lived in Florida and asked me if I wanted to cover the Florida State League All-Star game for him. And I was able to do that, and that has parlayed into work covering the Florida State League and Gulf Coast League for his website. So we're kind of starting to evolve as, as uh, I guess, the season evolves into how we're going to cover minor league baseball. So I don't particularly cover one team. Um, Instead, I just cover an entire league and those prospects there. Uh, But for me, personally, um, being able to meet the different media relations guys throughout the Florida State League, no one has been uh, more, uh, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, accommodating than Daniel Venn of the Dunedin Blue Jays. Uh, He has gone above and beyond with any requests that I've had. And um, so the, to me, the Blue Jays are, they're kind of my, the Dunedin, the Dunedin Blue Jays are kind of my team right now because Daniel Venn allows me to get access to the, to the team that other teams don't, or other media guys don't, uh, don't volunteer. So I've got time to sit down and speak with Lords Goriel, uh, with Bradley Jones, who I'm personally a big fan of. 
Um, he's injured now. Um, Ryan Barucki is a great guy that I got to spend some time with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Biggio I got to spend some time with. And all these interviews I've recorded and, and uploaded to not only YouTube but to uh, Prospects 1500. And so I had an article um, that I wrote about the Dunedin Blue Jays and profiling these under-the-radar guys right before Bo Bichette and Vlad Jr. arrived. And it was my hope that the added attention that those two guys would bring would shine a light on some of these other guys who aren't getting the publicity and notoriety but are putting up some pretty solid numbers in the Florida State League this season. Well, and I certainly appreciate that you found the time to speak with me today because there will be many listeners who not only value um, the perspective that you have and the insights that you bring, but will certainly be curious to see how many of these uh, coveted prospects develop into the kind of baseball players that one day the fans of Toronto can head downtown to the Rogers Center and appreciate live and in the flesh. His name is Jason Woodell. You can find him at Jason at the game on Twitter. And once again, he covers the Florida State League and the Gulf Coast League for prospects1500.com. Jason, thank you for joining me today. All right. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. My next guest is a Blue Jays writer, blogger, and a sporting news contributor. Hunter joins me now. Ian, thanks for coming. Oh, thanks Thanks so much for having me. Good to talk to you. I'm focusing on trying to understand the the fan mentality when it comes to how they feel about this team because it's been a roller coaster of emotion for a lot of Blue Jays fans. I'm wondering you as someone who's written about the team for many years and has such a sharp on what goes on day in, day out, how much of this is overreaction versus a legitimate reason to feel that this team may be literally weeks away from potentially either being completely retooled or maybe just accepting the fact that that they're really very good baseball team in 2017. Right. Well, I mean, even t- until this point, it's been such a roller coaster season uh, for the Blue Jays themselves. I mean, they started out uh, an atrocious April, and mm-hmm. I mean, even back then, there were experts who were suggesting that the Blue Jays should sell off their assets back then, and that was when you know the season was was maybe 10 or 15 percent complete, which I always thought ridiculous was ridiculous, and I mean they definitely they dug themselves a huge hole uh, way back then, but they had the benefit of time to get themselves out of it. But now that we're past the halfway point of the season, we're approaching the trade deadline. There's still several games out of 500. I feel like you know there's still hope there, but like the realism is kind of starting to settle in, like. Um, I was looking back, like a few years ago, the Jays were kind of in a similar spot. We all remember leading up to the trade deadline, they were, it was 50 and 51 or something before the too low trade mm-hmm. happened. Uh, but up until that point, their their run differential suggested that they were a much better team than what their record was. And same as last year, I think they were, you know, they were close to like an 80 plus 80 run differential. Whereas with this year, I think there's something like minus 70 or minus 75. Like it's not, yeah. it's, there's nothing I like. I'm not usually, I, I consider myself a pretty positive person, but to me in the overall picture, there's n- not much that suggests that they're going to play 600 ball in the second half. Um, the only thing that maybe they're saving grace is that they have, a bunch of their cast members in the second half that they didn't have in the first half. They have Josh yeah. Donaldson, they have Troy Tulowitzki and Jay Happ and Aaron Sanchez. So that could balance things out. But I mean, the, the thanks to the advent of the second wild card, you know, the Jays are never really out of it. Like they're yeah. you know five games out of a wild card right now, which is still pretty remarkable considering the record. But it's. Um, I think people at this point in the season, people aren't hanging on every win and loss so much as they were about a month or a month, month or so ago. But yeah. it's, I mean, it's, there's still tons of optimism for this team, at least in the short term. Well, and it certainly doesn't help when once every seven to 10 days, the team finds itself completely bludgeoned by another 
baseball club, whether it's losing, you know, 19 to one or losing by 15, 12, 10 runs. And I think that's what ultimately contributes to a lot of the fan uh, frustration and, and lack of confidence. I'm wondering how much should fans take solace in the fact that those teams that were able to win the team rather that was able to win in 2015 and 2016 has pretty much all of the same principal players and key talents needed to try to play 600 ball. Should there be something to be, is there something to be said for that reality? Well, I think the team as it's currently constructed right now, um, they've got a, they've got a, an uphill battle. I mean, if they make, Maybe if they make a a few moves at the trade deadline, like perhaps they go and acquire a second baseman or some help in left field, then and then maybe it can happen. Um, the other thing too is that I think almost every hitter in the lineup in the Blue Jays lineup has performed under career norms, save for Justin Smoke and Kevin Pillar. Everybody else was either hurt or they performed well below their career averages. So just by nature of things averaging out, you would think that guys like Jose Bautista and Troy Tulowitzki are, are they're going to bounce back in the second half. Yeah. Um, that's also assuming they're going to stay healthy, which, you know, given what happened in the first half, we can never assume. But I I can't envision the the second half of the Blue Jays season being nearly as bad as the first half was. I'm speaking with Ian Hunter from Sport News MLB. Ian, knowing that baseball is a game where things do even out, and eventually a team that struggles with as many injuries as the Blue Jays have, and, and let's face it, I, I've never seen a run like that in nearly 40 years of appreciating the team of how so many different key players go through a revolving door of some of the most bizarre injuries or circumstances which lead to it. Um, knowing that there's a superstitious element in baseball, is there a part of you that wouldn't be surprised if they found a way to continue to play at a clip that kept them close, giving the team management a reason to actually do something to support this effort of making the postseason? Is that a realistic uh, expectation for a fan? Um, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about that because um, – the thing with the Jays is that what everyone said is that, you know, all they need is like a 10-game a winning streak, and they're right back in it. Um, but I I believe the most consecutive wins they've had this year has been five. And if, for the most part with this team, it's been it seems like they've always been one step forward, one step back, or one step forward and two steps back. Like, just as you start to think the Jays are turning a, a corner or they're gaining some sort of momentum. As you mentioned, they do, they get bludgeoned 19 to one or 15 to one or something like that. So they just, they cannot seem to gain any sort of momentum. And that's exactly what you need going into this trade deadline, because if the Jays medal at 500, you, it doesn't justify to the, to the front office. Okay. Well, should we really be spending prospects or in getting someone like D Gordon or I don't know, like an Andrew McCutcheon or like, can you really, can you really justify that for a team that's sub 500? In my mind, you can't, if it's, if they're at 500 or perhaps a few games above, then maybe that's an easier sell. But if they're performing at this level uh, over the next two weeks, I don't think, Shapiro and Atkins can honestly say, okay, we need to be buyers instead of, instead of sellers. But it is interesting to think that if this were a typical market or one that was a mid-sized market, for example, in Major League Baseball, I think we know what this front office is planning to do. But when you lead the American League in attendance and you're the fourth largest market in North America for this sport, followed by 35 million people, does a part of you wonder how they're going to reconcile making a decision to either stand pat or potentially sell resources to a fan base that was pretty much expecting that there would be a competitive year of baseball and that this would be like declaring that you're ready to wave the white flag? Right, and I think that's part of the reason why the front office has been reluctant this year to... Hesitant, yeah. 
do like a, a, a total fire sale or a total rebuild. And um, uh, I wrote something about uh, this actually earlier today for Sporting News. Um, I caught a quote from Ross Atkins who said, you know, the Jays, they're not interested in doing a complete rebuild, which in my mind that would be trading Josh Donaldson, Roberto Osuna, Marcus Stroman, like all your key players, not just your, your pending free agents. Um, but I think the, the, the front office realizes that, you know, they've, they've earned a lot of goodwill these past two years oh, yeah. um, in turning this franchise around. I mean, it was 22 years of mediocrity, 22 years of no playoffs, and then all of a sudden two consecutive trips to the ALCS. And even even though the Jays have a subpar product on the field this year, they're still drawing. I mean, they'll draw three million fans, so like more than three million this year. Um, now a lot of that it was due to pre-sale from the excitement from last year. But I mean, if you tear this team down, like say, let's just say theoretically, you trade Josh Donaldson. I I, I have a feeling there's a lot of season ticket holders who are gonna go to and say, I'm not coming back next year. Um, yeah. There's also a lot of casual fans who are probably, probably going to say, no, I think I don't know. I, I don't think I'm going to go next year because that move in itself indicates that, okay, there's baseball's not going to be as exciting in Toronto next year. Um, so I think the front office is definitely weighing that, and they're seeing they're seeing it to be more beneficial to – I mean, if they're not going to compete, at least give the illusion like they're competing. And maybe part of that is just not trading Donaldson or just not trading key pieces that would help you compete this year and next year and possibly even 2019. And it's interesting, Ian, isn't it, that much like governments or administrations that last for four, eight, ten years uh, in various different countries across the world, with a baseball front office leadership question always being asked by fans. Are they doing the right moves? Are they making moves that are in our best interests? We know Shapiro and Atkins caught enormous flack just by showing up given the goodwill that was constructed brick by brick by Ennis and Beeston collaborating together. Are we going to get a good idea at the end of this season or when will we get a good idea from the fans' perspective that this team is one where success and failure can now be attributed to Mark Shapiro rather than looking at this team as still being what is effectively a hybrid of the Anthopolis era, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. I mean, I think that may that may even take another year or two because there's still, I mean, so long as you know, someone like Josh Donaldson and Troy Tulowitzki are still in the Blue Jays uniform. I feel like some from some fans, from their perspective, this is still a construct of what Alex Anthopoulos did. Whereas, you know, in my mind, um, the Blue Jays aren't where they are last year or this year, if not for the moves that the current front office did. Like they mm. signed Jay Happ to a, to a, a shrewd contract. They they signed Marco Estrada to a shrewd contract. I mean, and the Justin Smoke deal, the one that, you know, was universally panned at the time, is looking, you know, like one of the best bargains in all of baseball right now. Um, I think it's going to take a while. And it's, I think, no matter who came in, I mean, it could have been, I don't know, let's, we'll, we'll say, we'll say, uh, a Don Cherry, I don't know. Like it, it's it, whoever came in next was fans were, were going to be upset because they weren't mm-hmm. happy with how the Alex Anthopoulos era ended, and you know he was lauded as like a demigod in their eyes. Like he was, he could do no wrong, and I mean he did a ton of great for baseball in Toronto. But I feel like Shapiro and Atkins, they're more. And in comparison to Beeston, it's um, it's more methodical. They're a lot more. They seem more in tune with analytics and just the front office. They wait the way they've constructed things and the scouting department and everything the last few years. They're starting to turn things around. It's not the big, flashy David Price trade. It's not the Troy Tulowitzki trade. It's like the inter- the the minor international signings. Like they're the things. They're not the sexy moves at the time. Yeah, but yeah. these are the things that in the next three, four, five years are going to pay off. 
And by then, I, I, I'm hoping that the fans will, are finally going to say, well, okay, yeah, Shapiro and Atkins, they're not that bad. Which, which I think will likely happen if Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Lourdes Gurriel end up panning out to be the equivalent of what Matthews and Marner and uh, Nylander are for the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, a young core to build that even if you're playing lousy baseball, you can still appeal to the fan sensibilities that you've done great things to build what will hopefully be a perennial contender rather than one that shows up for a small wouldn't you say? Right, and I mean, if you all you have to do is look at that Cleveland Indians World Series team last year, and I mean, for the most part, that was that that was a team that was built and drafted thanks, due in part, to Mark Shapiro and uh, to a smaller extent, Ross Atkins. So, and they're looking like a contender this year as well. So that's uh, a bit of a carryover. That's kind of maybe foreshadowing. What can happen in Toronto? It's not this, you know, deplete your farm system in 2015 and trade all the prospects, get all the high-profile players. It's more of a sustainable uh, way to make this team a contender by drafting and developing star players, as you mentioned, like the Bichettes and the Guerreros, um, so that the Blue Jays can be a contender year in and year out, not just, you know, this two- or three-year window. Do you ever anticipate that we'll ever see anything like that again? I mean, it was so unique. I can't remember a GM draining every facility, every uh, sign of talent across the organization to get the players like the ones that ultimately Anthopolis acquired. Um, no, I mean, I don't think you'll you'll ever. We probably won't see like that anything like that at least with the Blue Jays again in our lifetime. Yeah, and. I mean, there was a point there where I kind of had this sense, I think I wrote about it, you know, a few years ago, that you got this sense that the Jays were stocking, stockpiling drafts or prospects and, and they were on the precipice of doing something. Like, they weren't, they were kind of spinning their tires in terms of uh, development and, and, and bringing players up, uh, and they weren't quite a contending team but they had a stellar farm system. Um, so I kind of wondered, I was like, well, is this, are they just, you know, building up the farm to sell it off? Like, are they just going to trade all the prospects they have and, and bring in high profile talent? And, you know, that's exactly what they did in that trade with the Marlins and, and the Mets. And then again, repeated with the Josh Donaldson trade and to get David Price and Troy Tulowitzki um, just the fact that the, the front office had built the organization up that that well with that many mm. prospects, they were able to do that. But now, I mean, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't even name you a prospect that the, Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins have traded for a major league player. I mean, I, I can't do it. Like, it's it's been a lot of minor league players or, you know, just fringe guys that have, gone away and it's like I have a feeling this is what's what's going to happen you're not going to see a trade you the Jays aren't going to trade a high profile uh, position player because that's what they need the the Jays in the longest time I mean you know aside from Kevin Pillar and Ryan Goins they haven't drafted and developed a position player a successful position player in a really long time so this front office, I think they value that tremendously, and you're not going to see them just throw them away for a rental-type player at the trade deadline this year or even someone who has an additional year of control. I think this front office really covets covets minor league talent, and they they really know what they're doing, and they're, they don't want to deal them away. Fantastic insight, Ian. Tell my listeners what you've been up to, maybe some recent articles that you've worked on and how they can find you on the web. Sure. Um, so I talked about uh, sporting news. I'm an MLB contributor, so I'm contributing an article there about maybe once a week, once every other week or so. And it's usually uh, – I do write about Major League Baseball in general, but for the most part it's uh, Blue Jays related. So if you're a Jays fan, you can check that out there. 
And I also write for uh, my blog, bluejayhunter.com, where always talking about the Blue Jays. Um, there'll be lots of stuff on the go, I'm sure, in the next few weeks as the trade deadline approaches. Um, you know, I'm not expecting the Blue Jays to stand totally pat. I think at the very least they may make some minor moves. But, um, yeah, that's that's where you can catch my work and uh, should be a fun uh, couple weeks for sure. His name is Ian Hunter. You can on Twitter at Blue Jay Hunter. Be sure to follow him because if you're following me, I can tell you right now, is definitely someone you need to be paying attention to. Ian, thank you so much for joining the show. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks so much for having me.